Swing and a drive! Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their stories. And now, here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi, guys. Welcome to another edition of Red, White, and Blue Jays. Great to have you aboard. And I'm very excited today to welcome Stephen to our pod. It's our second time dipping into mainland Europe. And uh, so, Stephen, thank you so much for finding time to spend with me this morning. Great to catch up with you, my friend. I know we've had a lot of conversations on Twitter over quite a long period of time now, but um, it's great to actually see you face to face. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is pretty exciting. I, and I have to say, just from the outset, your English is impeccable. Uh, oh, that's so. because I'm Canadian. Ah, okay. Oh, I do. Ah, no, see, there's, uh, that's interesting because there's a little bit of a little bit of a twang in there. Is it? Is that right, or am I mis mishearing that? Oh, you're probably catching uh, all the different accents that I absorb here. Uh, so yeah, a bit of Flemish, a bit of French, also from my Dutch wife, um, and then working with a whole lot of Brits as well. So. Ah, so how long yeah. have you been in Belgium then? 11 years. Okay. Yeah. So they clearly, it is rubbing off on you slightly. So my apologies for uh, not picking up your strong Canadian accent, but uh, picking up a slightly European one, which is very interesting. Well, and then I also went to university in Windsor, uh, so which was actually directly south from Detroit. So I also ended up getting really influenced by Buffalo and Detroit accents as well in terms of the, the media there. So I have this American, Southern Ontario, Flemish yeah british what, irish dutch everything in there yeah i have i have been to windsor and to detroit actually so i know that my condolences <laughs> yeah we were only, we were just passing through as we were driving from toronto to chicago so we stopped over off in windsor for a night and then got stuck in the tunnel as we went into the states and they uh that was a very traumatic experience for my kids <laughs> yeah it's true but old tiger stadium oh it had such a charm to it uh, it was beautiful we used to love going across there to catch some baseball games and at that time uh, you could get tickets so easy to go see a tigers game compared to uh, the back then the dome was always packed you could hardly get tickets so it was actually better to be going to detroit to catch the jays sure sure anyhow well welcome to the pod tell us a little Thank bit you. about what you're doing how do well i'm now interested in the journey from canada to belgium because that has uh, totally taken me sidewards so just just give us a little bit of background about you and, and your your life story as it were so uh i am actually an anglican priest um so i was already an anglican priest in the anglican church of canada for eight years in ontario i was a lifelong blue jays fan and then there came a job opportunity in ghent in belgium um Long story there, but yeah, I never expected a, that a Anglican priest from Canada would ever get a job uh, here. And technically, this is part of the diocese in Europe, which is part of the Church of England. And so I work for the Church of England, but in Belgium. And uh, yeah, so been here eleven years. Absolutely love Belgium. Um, the you know besides family and friends that I miss in Canada the main thing I miss is the Blue Jays um and so it's uh other than that this is the perfect place to live so I'm I'm really glad to be able to follow my team from here yeah no I mean, <laughs> that is a very fascinating story uh, so, so I I have some background in terms of uh, growing up in the Church of England so I understand your context uh, uh quite well so we'll we'll have more conversations um uh, I'm sure on that at some other point but uh 
Yeah, so ending up in in Belgium, had you been to Europe before? Had was this a, a complete side right move for you? Had you sort of thought about it? It'd be lovely to perhaps relocate someday. Or, or so my wife is from a Dutch family. We were when we we met in Scotland, uh, and then we um, actually lived in in Hamilton, Ontario, for five years. And then a job opportunity came up here. It meant we were a four hour drive away from her family as her father's health was pretty bad at that stage, uh, rather than a seven hour plane ride. So uh, that made a lot of sense. Plus there was this great opportunity in Ghent uh, and we had visited here and absolutely fallen in love with the city. So it was just the stars aligning in the right way. Yeah, amazing. and. What is what is life like in terms of comparison to being in Canada? What what are the big noticeables that are you know just poles apart in terms of culture and and so on? What, what's what have you noticed? Well, when I talk to friends in Ontario, I always say it's it's you, it's not like comparing apples and oranges. It's apples and elephants. It's different species. Uh, it, it it required relearning everything I thought about the work that I was doing, uh, but also yeah, culturally, um, people in Belgium they do not live to work like in Ontario, I think Ontario are the worst workaholics in the world, uh, at least now that I have that perspective from outside. But yeah, I mean, people here really like they work, but then they also want to play. So whether that's, of course, cycling is a huge sport here, football, um, but also people just in tons of culture. The The city of Ghent is 250,000 people, uh, which is probably half the size of Hamilton, where we were coming from. But the cultural opportunities, the food is incredible. Um, and I, one of the things I love is also just diversity. So the number of languages that you hear around you is uh, intoxicating. Yeah, yeah. And uh, chances to get back to Ontario? What, what's, how often do you get back to see family and, and friends? Do you much travel or not? I, I guess well, with, we, the pan- with the pandemic, it's obviously slowed up, but... Um... Yeah, and I've got friends from Canada, and they try and get back at least once or twice a year. Uh, they don't pay an Anglican priest that much money, so we can't really afford to do that. So we try to aim for every three years. Pandemic got in the way of that. Um, but my family also love to come to Europe. So either they come to Belgium and they like to tour around here, or we try to meet up somewhere else. So that works out pretty well. Very good. And do you come across the UK at all? Is that an opportunity that Back in the day, yes, we did. COVID, COVID got in the way of that. So yeah, I haven't been in the UK in over two years. Okay. So we'll yeah, it'd be great to be part of a meetup at some point. Yeah, I was going to say, let us know when you're sort of thinking. Of co- did you get across to the London series at all when that happened in 2019? No. Nah. No. Yeah. So it's because a lot, there was, funny enough, there was a lot of European fans there. I think, uh, you know, it was, it was a big magnet, wasn't it, in terms of getting people, you know, to come and see baseball live. Um, so yeah, we, we did have a lot of, lot of, uh, guys off the continental Europe coming across. And then I think there's also two places in London that are like, uh, batting cages where people can come and just have a good time whacking the ball. And, uh, yeah, I would, I, I really want to come try that out. That's actually the closest I checked it on Google maps to see, you know, <laughs> where is a batting cage? There's nothing in France, the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany. So I want to come check it out. I would love to also like and there's the entrepreneur in me that would love to have like a batting cage somewhere yeah. nearby yeah i would i would have thought particularly with germany because germany's quite passionate about their baseball uh, i would have thought they would have would have had one somewhere 
Well, and didn't the Netherlands win the baseball world championships a couple of years ago? They've, they've got a lot of great players, especially from the Dutch Antilles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised there isn't one. Yeah. So I think the, if the, if you're coming to the UK, there's certainly one at um, the Westfield shopping center, which is near the Olympic stadium uh, where the uh, well, uh, London series was held. Uh, so that's a, a very popular place. And actually where I'm in Bournemouth, we've got one in Southampton, which is just along the coast from us here. Um, so there are a few, few around the UK. Um, so yeah, if you're coming okay. over, book it in. We're doing it. Yeah. We're yeah. doing a meetup there. Right. So let's, let's uh, just dip then into your sort of childhood and, uh, and growing up. Did you play yourself? Or was it uh, a sport that, uh, you know, in your childhood years that you fell in love with and, and, and played yourself? Only with friends. Uh, I was, I was, I, th- I think my official title when I was a kid was King of the Band Geeks. So I was way too busy with uh, music, theater, those sorts of things that to actually be good at any sports. But uh, it was always, baseball was always my biggest passion. So I used to spend a lot of hours in the backyard, just pitching a ball against the wall. Yeah, very good. And your first experience with the Jays, when, how old were you? I'm assuming you, you just want to ask a question, then think, oh, actually, yeah, I was assuming, give us your first sort of impression of, or age you were when. So I was two and a half years old when the, when Toronto was awarded a team uh, in the league. And my earliest memory is probably 81, 82, when they were just horrible as an expansion team. They, they were losing upwards of 100 games a year. So, yeah, I remember playing catch with my friends and we would we would make jokingly, ha, 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 we're like the Blue Jays and we would throw the ball wide of each other or we would, you know, we would catch the ball, but then we would drop it on purpose, to, you know, because they just were making errors constantly. That was, that was a joke. And then I think it was around 83 where they started to be good and we would make these errors and, and we would, ha, 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 we're the Blue Jays and we'd be like, Oh, but we can't do that anymore. And 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 that would have been exhibition stadium in terms of. Oh yeah, your yeah, yeah, experience. Yeah. So what no, what no, was that like? To give us your uh, your your. Well, I was going to say highs and lows of going to exhibition stadium. I'm, I'm not sure there's many highs from what I've heard of. But uh, what was your memories of that uh, ballpark? Well, the great part about it was the seats were so cheap. So like parent, like families could go and it was super affordable. You could buy, you could buy tickets in the outfield for, for a while for, I think, $2. Then it got bumped up to $4. Uh, my mother is also an Anglican priest. And one time she got gifted uh, some tickets that were uh, right behind home plate, uh, 17th row, but she only got two tickets. So my parents sat in the outfield with binoculars. And then my sister and I got to sit in those awesome seats. And we were, I don't know. 10 years old and my sister might have been seven and it was one of dave steve's one hitters uh, it was just it, it, i mean i was already a blue jays fan then but then i was just smitten especially uh, if it's a really good pitching duel oh yeah gourmet food very cool and was it pitching that you particularly you know in terms of uh, you know your heroes of the sport uh, often you know we all latch on to particular positions or players or players and then positions and because of that you know was it pitching that you were always in awe of or, or? uh what i love i love the strategy in between the action so especially for pitching and catching it's the dynamic of well what did we just throw how did he re- how did the batter react uh, what are we going to do next um, but then also to see the position players how they're adjusting to well what pitch is going to be thrown and uh 
yeah, I mean, also growing up, then it was defensive wizards like Tony Fernandez that were just uh, amazing to watch where he would go way back behind third base, throw this sidearm loop and get the guy at first base. Just, it, I mean, it would, yeah, there's been some brilliant players on the Jays through the years. Uh, on, on one of the earlier podcasts, I heard you ask somebody, you know, who's your favorite former Blue Jay or something like that. I thought, oh, don't ask me that, Steve. Don't ask me. Oh, that's coming. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're teeing that one up right now. So start thinking thinking about it. So, Exhibition Stadium, obviously, great childhood memories. What was the um, mood like when they started talking about Skydome being built? Uh, I I presume that that plan had been in place for some years, I guess, before it actually, you know, physically started to happen. Uh, there was well, that was also as the Jays were getting much better as a team. So that was mid eighties, 85, obviously they won the AL East pennant for the first time. And the, and the hopes were really, really high. And by that point, there was momentum towards the new stadium. So when the stadium opened in 89, then, uh, and it was May. So it was kind of weird that it wasn't for the beginning of the season, but yeah, the expectations at that point were, we're going to win the AL East this year. But of course they started off with a really bad track record in 89. So um, it was kind of, everybody didn't know what was going to happen. And then when they were, when they were there, it, it really took off and it was, it was sold out f- for years. Yeah. And and were you at the world series games at all through the early nineties? Did you get to any of the postseason at all? To- uh, when they played the Minnesota Twins uh, in the 91 playoffs, uh, obviously they lost that series, but uh, oh, the, it was absolutely electric in the building. I've never been to a game like that where 50,000 people are into every single pitch, totally focused on one thing, uh, and there's just a constant buzz through the building. Um, so yeah, I was at that game. The other is after they won the World Series in 92, then... Uh, they had the parade through Toronto and we might've missed our day of school that day um, oh, with our parents' okay. permission. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so me and a group of friends, we all, all, we went there, but the parade route was already packed with people. So we couldn't get anywhere. We thought, okay, let's try and get close to the dome. So we go down there, we're walking around the dome and there were a pair of um, doors, but they only opened from the inside. There was no handles on the outside. And the door opens in front of me and a guy walks out. And so I said to him, can we go in? He just shrugged his shoulders. So I bolted in there. I started going up the stairs the, the, and my friends are behind me. Look back and there's thousands of people coming up the stairs. It turns out that the, the dome was actually uh, had too many people in it that day. Um, but then there was nowhere to sit. So we were just sitting in a stairwell. Uh, while they were having all the speeches and they were handing out everything, um, but you couldn't hear a thing. There, you know, the the players are talking. I don't know if anybody could understand what they were saying, but basically, every time they said something, we would just go nuts. So it was phenomenal. That's mad, isn't it? I mean, th- yeah. those are the, the, and those those sort of memories that you haven't planned for. You know, you're just you're just there. Something suddenly happens, and wow! Yeah, a do- literally, a door opens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in, in 93, when they won the World Series, so I, then I was studying at uh, University of Windsor. And the, yeah, I mean, just, just to see what it's like to be Canada's team. So, yeah, Windsor, the, the, we, we, we ended up actually going across the bridge 
the ambassador bridge that goes to Detroit. So we kind of we kind of shut down the border for a few hours, just celebrating uh, because the whole the whole city of Windsor was behind them as well. Which is great to hear because obviously with um, the Tigers being literally a stone's throw away, and I guess the the mix of Windsor was always particularly prior to the Jays being around would have been a lot of Tiger fans in that, especially that when the Tigers were in the AL East as well. Yeah, yeah, in that part of the world. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> being in the mix of that, were there any? Um, I, I'm just sort of thinking, were there any disgruntled Canadians who have been Tigers fans as uh, as you know kids? that were now oh right okay now it's our team and we feel we ought to show allegiance to the canadian team i wonder whether any of that sort was going on uh i've got, I've got some good friends from the the windsor area and they stayed loyal detroit fans all the way through that but they're just you know typical yeah. canadians are very polite about it yeah yeah it's hard to, you know once you've locked into your team no, no matter what the circumstances are it would be hard to suddenly switch and well on that point team, I guess. as well Detroit is this franchise with incredible history uh, and, and Toronto really didn't. Okay. We had one world series win, but it was still really a young team. And, and so I think for a lot of people that were into sort of the history of baseball, um, the past time, then the Tigers were still the go-to choice. I, I don't know about now. I think probably a lot of kids in Windsor maybe split allegiances, parents are Tigers fans, kids might be Jays fans. Yeah. And of course you had Montreal, uh, I know, which is further, further, further away, but they'd been, of course, going much longer than the Jays. Yeah. Um, well, and the, yeah. when, when the Jays won in 93, then Montreal had a great team in 94 before the strike happened. So the dream also was, well, maybe it could be a Toronto Montreal world series. Yeah. Yeah. Because my first visit to uh, the Jays was in 94. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, just just so I miss the <laughs> I miss the World Series, and I I missed the strike by four days, literally four days after the, the first game I ever went to, the strike happened. So it's, oh, uh, so it's your fault. I, yeah, my fault. I'm afraid. Yeah, I you know one of those burdens you just have to bear. Um, well, one of, one of the good things about Montreal not having a team anymore is the Olympic Stadium was not a good baseball park. It was it was just way too cavernous, and even even when there was a crowd, if they got energized, it just didn't ripple through the the building like a lot of other stadiums do. Although I did catch a foul ball there. Oh, well, that's all right. Yeah, it it probably was a little bit like the London Stadium when the Yankees and the Red Sox came across. That you know, a big big old dome, which meant you have lots of foul territory. And while they tried to bring some seats in to try and fill that gap, there was still acres of space. Um, so just, because that's a stadium designed for football games mostly. Well, it, yeah, it was it was the stadium that's designed for the Olympic Games in 2012. So effectively, it was an athletics stadium to start oh, yeah. off with, and then the the idea of the legacy of the games was that it would always get converted across to a football stadium. And I, I think you know the West Ham uh, supporters who go there, uh, I've probably got used to it now. But I think certainly when they first moved uh, from Upton Park. It, it's not a classic football ground just because it's mm. an oval and it, it generates these massive spaces between the touchline and, and the fans, yeah, which is very odd for football. Yeah. So, World Series, you then, uh, in terms of, your, I'm just trying to think of your timeline. See, so when did you come to Belgium? What year? 2011. 2011. Okay, so you were already over here prior to so the 2015-16 seasons, how much were you able to keep up 
with what was happening there. I mean, you, you even worse than us here in the UK, you're an hour further ahead. So day as evening games are, are, are middle of the night. How much of that did you get to see live? Uh, so, well, a lot of times what I would do is I'd be listening to it on the radio um, well, on my phone. Um, and so if it was an afternoon game, then I would love, especially if I was traveling somewhere, then I would be listening to it, which also took me back to my childhood. I would, I would hide underneath my blankets and I would listen to baseball games. So, so that was also kind of nostalgic. Um, but then, yeah, watching games and it's not always great. Although I'm also a big, now as I'm getting older, I'm a big fan of when they have a West coast game, I can wake up at 6am and then have breakfast and watch the blue Jays. Yes. Yes. Cause that works a bit better for you. Doesn't it be just being that hour ahead. I yeah. think if it's uh yeah, if it's a, normally sort of a two o'clock start here, so it's a five o'clock generally around five o'clock end. So it's yeah, not, not so hot here in the UK, but yeah, if, just picking but up, but, going to extra innings then uh, that's a that's the bonus yeah and if they're playing in la or oakland or something like that then usually I, when i wake up it can be maybe the fifth or sixth inning and i can catch the second half of the game which is which is pretty good sometimes the result is already decided by then and i can say well, maybe not today <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely so so yeah so 2015 did you did you stay up in the middle of the night to watch the backflip game were you one of did you join us Totally. Yep. I was up for all those playoff games. Uh, at that time, we also had a, an intern uh, working with me and he was also even living in our house. And so uh, he, he was from the UK and I also made him wear a Blue Jays jersey. He didn't stay up to watch the games. But uh, yeah. And, and so I, I yeah, be awake in the middle of the night and OK, I'm watching the games, tweeting away with people who are watching the games back in Canada, back and forth. And, and then also I, I was working. And so some of my co colleagues, they would also be saying, um, Stephen, we should talk about your insomnia. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. This is not insomnia. This is like what, if I'm going to be awake now, I need to sleep in later. So I need to adjust my work hours. The podcast home of Blue Jays fans UK. You're listening to Red, White and Blue Jays. So the 2015-16, obviously, the, the, the momentum that the team had in terms of uh, the hopes of going through, how disappointed were you with that? And, and how did that play into sort of your sleep patterns and so on? Because I think when you're on the crest of a wave, you, you start running with the team, don't you? And actually, you can, you can get through your day because you're excited about how, what was that whole period like for you? particularly being an extra hour later. Yeah, you, you just live off adrenaline. Uh, I, I would have I would have ridden that wave all the way to the end if I could. I, you know, I was a Jays fan through all the dark years, right? Between 93 and 2015, there were a lot of bad teams there. There were a lot of good teams that just didn't, you know, go anywhere. Um, I, there are some of the seasons where you see the Jays win 88, 89 games and they finished fourth in the division. Uh, but then 2015, when they picked up Price and uh, and also Tulewitzki and just the second half of that season, when they just they ran the table, you could feel it. And it was never in doubt. Um, so when, when they win the division and they're going to the playoffs and um, yeah, I mean, there were some tense moments, but it was, it was great. And then when you've got that seventh inning uh, and all the craziness that happened with that and the, the ball that Russell Martin threw off the bat 
like it was just insane stuff that you never see in a baseball game and and your body fills with adrenaline you're screaming at the television it's 2 30 in the morning uh you know then they end up winning the game and that's amazing okay so they they lost the game uh the next series but it just it, it feeds your addiction so you want more and so then in 2016 when they also did well it was like oh yeah i'm going through this again i i, I don't care if i lose sleep for you know two and yeah. a half three weeks yeah no absolutely and, Flags and I think fly it, forever of course absolutely they do and of course it's now fed into where we are in terms of the current team uh how much how much do you keep an eye on minor league action in terms of who's coming up through the rosters in terms of how that might impact because obviously you know we've we've got the the, the vladdy bow and, and biggio trio which you know famously have come through buffalo and so on how much do you keep a, a track on what's happening in the lower leagues and thinking yeah. actually in two or three years time this could be very good yeah and and yeah full disclosure it was really with uh biggio bow and vladdy where i that was the first time where i ever actually like flagged the websites for you know uh new hampshire fisher cats and <laughs> um and we're following them from from double a and like who's this bichette kid wow he can hit and they've got guerrero too whoa so but before that i would always kind of you know you, you would know the top prospects you might know the top 20 or 30 uh, but they were the first ones where you start to track them and you see their arrival times and now i mean i'm not uh, I, I really like the way the front office right now is dealing with prospects where they invest in them and it's not just if they're going to become great blue jays but also how they can use that to pick up great players like barrios um, so then there is a value to investing in players, whether you envision them on your team or not. So into 2020, which was our pandemic year, shortened season. These guys are starting to, to push into the team for the first time. Uh, along with, I think Nate Pearson came through in that, in that particular year as well. Right at uh, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you know, there's a lot of excitement about him coming up. What was your what was your thoughts towards how good this team could be in the near future and uh, versus you know something sort of four or five years down the road? Because the trouble with fans, if you're like me, is that we just get on the bandwagon and away we go. This is the team; they're going to do it next year, and it's actually having that you know sort of res slightly restricted momentum to make sure that they all are peaking at the right time. So, so coming into 2020, what, where was your anticipation of how well that they could do? Going into 2020, once they were able to, to start training again and, and that they were going to head towards playing games, you knew this was going to be a good team. You just didn't know really how good. And because it was a sprint, what I anticipated was this would actually play to their strengths as a young team. They could sprint better than you know teams that were chock full of veterans who have a hard time kind of getting back up to speed again so yeah did i expect them to get a playoff spot not really but that was a good hope and and 2019 had been the developmental season and and so hopefully then 2020 was going to be a bit better and what a great opportunity for these young kids to really get a taste of, of doing that kind of push 
but a lot a lot of those these still young players they've got such maturity in those high pressure situations they expect themselves to win which is also really cool to see so either way it was going to be another learning season and in in the end uh they they just didn't have the pitching uh, I think we knew that at the time. I mean, we had we had just picked up Ryu, but we didn't have uh, the pitching rotation to really go deep into a playoff series. So also kind of a little bit of reality had to play into that. But you kind of saw the building blocks were in place and playoff experience can never be a bad thing. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and in 2020 and 2021, there was that taste of, of playoff. But they didn't get, and particularly last year, they didn't get there all the way. Um, how was your thoughts on the final day of last season where two or three teams were were in the running at the end of the season? Uh, were you thrilled that they'd got that far or, or was it a sense of disappointment or excitement for the following season? Where were you landing? Totally excited. That was, this team was showing over a long haul, over a full season, that's how good they are. And to, to finish one game out of it uh, with the stacked AL East with Tampa Bay, New York, Boston, they're, they're with the big boys. So this is, this is a good team. We got to get behind them now. And yeah, I mean, you see the start of the 2022 season, people are saying, oh, they're not firing on all cylinders. Yeah, but they're the first team in the AL to get to 10 wins. Uh, if you look at the April record of the days over the past few years, they usually don't do well in the first month of the season they're doing well. So uh, I think there's a lot of positive signs going on right now. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right that, that this current squad in, in how they're performing thus far, uh, haven't, yeah, haven't hit top, top form just yet, but they are w- winning games and they're winning close games. Uh, and I think last year, particularly we lost a lot of one run games where this year yeah. we just seem to be scraping them. Cedo Gaston used to have a theory about that, that he, he, he always thought that if uh, in one season you end up losing a lot of one run games in the next season, you kind of, it balances out and uh, yeah, you kind of see that happening, but um, yeah. Also to kind of speak to what you're saying there uh, for young players, a lot of them have really good baseball IQ that they know this is a long season. So yeah, they want to win the tough games now, but they also know there's going to be, there are going to be stretches where the offense just goes nuts, um, where all, you know, all the players click at the right time and they're just going to ride that. But if they can grind this first month out, then the good times are still ahead. Yep. Still cold in Canada, of course. And I think, yeah, once we get the roof open, get a bit of warmth going as well, actually summer sport, I think these guys will, will really roll. You like the signings that they've made, the trades that they've made in the offseason. Uh, so I think, you know, particularly Gosman pitched incredibly well the other night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. I, I, I have to admit, I wasn't fully, okay, what's the appeal of this Gosman guy? Just looking at his stats from afar, it's like, well, okay, he's a decent pitcher, but I don't know if I'd be, you know, signing him up to that kind of contract. But just to watch him pitch that game in, in Fenway, he was dealing. Uh, I totally understand why, why Montoya had to pull him in the ninth inning. Uh, no problem with that decision at all. But it, Gosman just seemed like he could throw anything up there. And it was just with perfect ease. He was in control. I would do exactly what Montoya did. You put him out there. I mean, not just one pitch, but uh, you, you give him a chance at, at 
as long as nothing goes wrong, no walks, no hits, it's your game to finish. First guy got a hit on the first pitch. Okay, we're going to Romano. Romano is, you know, seals the deal every time right now. So. Yeah. There's a bit I, of I drama. Yeah, he, there was a little bit of drama. That's absolutely right. I, I wonder whether they had a conversation with him and give him a little bit of a, yeah, okay, this is what we're going to, this is the leash that you are being let out on. Uh, it's going yeah. to be a short one. And if the ch- situation changes, then we will have to pull you. I, I am sure he must know that. Yeah. Um, I know the Blue Jays are very different than the softball team I play in in Ghent here, the Ghent Knights. But yesterday we won our first ever softball tournament. And hey, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, uh, but the other teams that were there in this tournament, they had these amazing hitters who were like pounding the ball, home runs deep into the field. Except those were the only players really hitting the home runs. And the way we won the tournament was we just played really well as a team on defense and offense uh, for every game, five games over the, over the course of the day. And what I end up seeing from the Jays is like, yeah, they've got some superstar players, but they're just really good at playing as a team. And, and actually the Gosman game is a really good example. He was dealing and the other guys surround him so that Montoya can't go and tell him uh, you're not going back out for the night. So actually as a team, like they're, they're doing things um, that, I mean, that's, that's more than just like how many home runs do you hit? So uh, it's, it's, that's part of the vibe. That's part of this team that I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's falling over from the last couple of seasons. And I think that, you know, we've talked on this pod about the home run jacket and the, the essence yeah. of, of camaraderie that is bringing to everybody. And it was great the other night where um, uh, SB got his home run as soon as he, he, he's got to take it off. Uh, you know, Zimmer came through and it was just, it's so exciting. It's just like one after one after one after another. Uh, well, and a, and a good team doesn't just wait for the big guys to hit the home runs. It's the role players who also have a, have a part to play in that. And yeah, when I think back to the late 90s, early 2000s, you had superstars, right? Like Halliday pitching. But the team around him wasn't good enough, so he never actually got to make the playoffs with the Jays or Carlos Delgado. I mean, his his numbers are mind-boggling, but also the team around him just wasn't good enough. And, and now what you see is uh, really good players, some superstars, and the role players are also good. So, uh, I mean, the front office has also talked about how you rate not only have a high ceiling, but you also try to raise the floor. And I think that's what really excites me about this team as well, is that the floor has gone up quite a bit. Um, somebody was comparing the starting rotation on opening day this year compared to last year. It's just night and day. It is night and day. And and I think uh, when I spoke to Shai Davidi, I asked him, is it you know the best starting rotation in the AL East? And, uh, he wouldn't commit to say totally yes, but he said it would be hard hard to argue against it. And I think if we can get Ryu doing what Ryu should be able to do, and I know that you know his years are coming towards a close, um, but if they can just sort out some of his issues, and he actually when he was pitching, uh, while he had two rough games, there were elements of his games that were very very good yeah he had like two or three really good innings and then on the fourth inning it just all went south so i think if, if pete walker can do his magic with with Ryu, uh, obviously getting him back off the il um, and back into the rotation if they keep the six-man rotation with with ross stripling as well uh who pitched very well uh yesterday uh no two days ago 
Well, and if you if you look at reuse numbers from from last year, uh, end of last year, and also the beginning of this year, those are outliers compared to his career numbers. Uh, it, it's it's totally a matter of control with him. So if he's able to find that control point again, less than his velocity, um, I'm, I think he'll be an amazing fifth starter. If you can say that Hinjin Ryu is your fifth starter, that's a good rotation. Yeah. No. Absolutely. In terms of Matt Chapman, how excited are you having him on the team? He, he's phenomenal. Uh, again, he's one of these players where I didn't know much about him. Uh, his, his offense is totally a bonus. His glove and his arm from third, it's, it's a cannon, but it's also so accurate. Even Donaldson, I mean, Donaldson had, had great defense in the 2015-2016 season. But the, yeah, Chapman is just phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And and what he will do to Bo, improving Bo at short, I think that's the the big thing for me is that he covers the ground so effectively and so dominantly that that is taking yards off the the, the ground that Bo has to cover at shortstop. And uh, I know both both of them have had a couple of wobbles in in some of the games. Yep. To be fair, yep, they it hasn't been absolutely perfect, but oh man, it's so much stronger than it was last year. So much stronger. And with the being strong third base short, uh, our second base defense also it, like not nothing against Simeon, but actually I think Santiago is a really good defender. Um, and and you know let's give Vladi some credit; he's a really good first baseman. I mean, maybe he's not going to win a Gold Glove this year, but it, he he does some amazing plays there. His stretches are fantastic. That defense also saves pitchers that saves bullpens uh so all of that is i mean the the end of the play in yesterday's game where that vladdy goes up catches a ball uh and then steps on first for the double play to end the game great play and that saves the game for romano right yeah absolutely does because he was getting himself in a bit of a pickle for the second game but you know, he he got through it, and that's that's all you can ask of ask. Oh, of sorry, Simba. Oh, no, it Simber wasn't. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't Romano yesterday, was it? Yeah, no, it was. It was Simba. Yes, sorry. Yeah, the day before, yeah. you know, Romano got himself in a bit of a sticky, sticky position, and 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 got himself through. And I think that's all you can ask of a, a top player is you you negotiate those wobbles, and and he's done that. And I thought I thought the way that Monteo played the game yesterday in terms of saving Romano having to come back out, I thought. That was a good sign to see. He's got confidence in his bullpen, which I, we didn't really have last year. That's very true. Well, especially early in the season. And then they improved the bullpen over the course of the season. But it was it was the early season bullpen wobbles that might... And that's why you see a lot of fans panicking right now. If the Jays lose a game, it's like, oh, they, they missed the playoffs by one game. This could be that game. Let's calm down, everybody. And and that's a good thing about a manager like Montoya is, is he's... I mean, he's got the long-term patience for the whole season. Yeah, no, it's so so cool. So, where let's just get you on on paper, as it were. Where do you think we're going to end up in the AL East? I wouldn't be surprised if we finished first. Uh, I would be disappointed if we didn't make the playoffs at all, including with a wild card position. I think we have to have those kind of expectations this season with this team. Um, and I, if we end up in a wild card series, yeah, I think we have at least two series in us. And depending on what the front office does by the trade deadline, then we could raise those expectations further. So mm. it's an exciting prospect, isn't it? I, 
I think everybody I speak to, you know, is, is saying a second is an absolute minimum. Uh, yeah. And, and growing up in the, in the Toronto sports market, uh, then, you know, basically the, the culture is set by the Leafs and um, all Leafs fans are ready to jump off the bandwagon rather than get on it, you know, because because at some point the Leafs are going to break your heart. Uh, and, and I think Jays fans also sometimes tend to buy into that culture. And uh, what I find about this year is it's really easy to be excited and I, yeah, I don't know why anybody would want to jump off this bandwagon. I think we have to keep pushing this team because this, this could be multiple years of playoff appearances and hopefully championships. Bring it on. Liking that, <laughs> liking that enthusiasm, Stephen. That's very good. Yeah. I've, I've kind of committed. I'd like to get a, yeah. I'd like to get the Jays logo tattooed on my back. <laughs> and then each year that they win the world series. So I'm hoping that one of these years I'll get to add on. <laughs> Send us the photo when you have it done. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's excellent. 7 p.m. First pitch in Toronto. Midnight first pitch in London. We're Blue Jays fans UK. And we stay up late. You're listening to Red, White, and Blue Jays. Uh been brilliant chatting with you. What we're gonna do, uh, as I've done with uh my other guests, is our, our top ten questions. So yeah, nothing to to get too excited about or nervous about. Who are you most excited? Which player are you most excited about for 2022? Kick off with that. Well, there's a lot of deliberation going on at the moment. Going through the whole lineup. Well, if you'd asked me that at the beginning of the season, I would have said Danny Jansen. That's a good shape. Yeah. Uh, he was, he, he seemed to have been putting everything back together again. Um, I think we've got a team full of stars. I'm hopeful of seeing what George Springer can do over a full season. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a good, good shout. And it was, we, we said right at the very beginning of the season, obviously last year he was out for so long. And then of course got hit by a ball the other day. Didn't he? And it's just, Oh goodness, not again, but yeah. hopefully, you know, he's playing last night. So yeah, I think a, a fully fit George Springer for a whole season. Yeah. That that's gotta be a good shout. Yeah. Like that one. Okay, here's the question you didn't want. Uh, yeah, your favorite Jays player of all time. Where would you land? Okay, if you're gonna make me pick one, I think I have to go with Carlos Delgado. Okay, he could just take over a whole game on his own. And Carlos Delgado in his prime. I, I don't understand why that guy's not in the Hall of Fame. If I'm allowed to have a backup, then I go Tony Fernandez just a defensive wizard if you know he's playing at the same time as Ozzy Smith so he gets sort of underappreciated but uh, yeah Tony could do things at shortstop that no human should do good good choices there who's your favorite or or person that you've been most impressed that isn't a Jays player who would you over the years think ah oh, he would have been a great person to have on the roster you mean everybody doesn't end up on the blue chase at some point? Yeah, well, well, you know, <laughs> they all roll through at some point, I'm sure. Uh, Albert Pujols. Yes. Big fan. Yes. Yeah. C can't argue with that one. Your favorite well, ballpark? I'd have a second for that one as well, because you oh, like, cool. yeah, I do sure. have a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it would have been great to see Joey Votto in a blue chase mm. uniform. Yeah. Maybe it can still happen. Ooh, you never know. 
there's a few out there at the moment that people are talking about that haven't come our way just yet. So um, let's see what the front office do, as you say, before the trade deadline. Your favourite ballpark away from Skydome? So far, it would have to be Fenway, but I haven't uh, really checked out enough MLB parks. But Fenway is a cathedral of a stadium. Yeah, it's a great place. Yeah, yeah, no, I enjoyed visiting Fenway. Okay, so when you're at the game, your favorite baseball food? Oh, definitely popcorn. Oh, right, Hands okay. Down. Oh, that was very quick. <laughs> yeah, that was like, I, I'm not even thinking about that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know which inning to order it in and, you know. <laughs> okay, there's a routine there. And, and what would your drink be with your, your popcorn? Usually just iced tea. Okay, very That's nice. That sweet North American iced tea. Yeah, very good. Day game or night game? Night game. Under the lights. Yep. Summer's evening, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Your favorite Jay's jersey color? The 1980s uh, white home unis. Oh, right. Okay. Well, very specific. Well, because they also had the three color stripes on the side bands yes, and also did. at the waist. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Excellent. Bit of retro. And what number would you have on your jersey? Nine. Okay. Uh, nine. John Olerud. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So it's always when it gets to this point, people give numbers and I'm racking from my brain just trying to think who, who it might be that uh, calls that number to be chosen. Okay. John Olerud. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I run about as fast as he does. So, <laughs> excellent. Which is not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and roof open or roof closed? Oh, Which roof is course. Open. Yeah. yeah. Post exhibition stadium question. But, oh, uh, although, could I also say, it's great when the dome closes mid game. All right. Okay. Go on. Well, it's, just a, it, it's this technological marvel when you're sitting there and, and sure. it, you know, you see the sky open up or close off. Yeah. Uh, I, when I went on my first visit in 94, we went to the hard rock cafe, which is now where the WestJet flight deck bit is. And uh, we were sitting in the, in the restaurant there and uh, my friends were, sort of talking about the Jays and trying to sort of enthuse me in terms of what I was going to see later in the day when we went to the game. And uh, as I was sitting in there and they were doing a bit of batting practice and stuff uh, and the dome started to open. Uh, and that's the only time in all the times I've been to see the Jays play that I've actually seen the roof move in the yeah. stadium. And it was amazing because it was, it was quite dark because they didn't have all the stadium lights on uh, as they were doing the batting practice. And then this, little crack in the roof opens and this shaft of light comes shining. I remember, I remember ever so clearly. It is an, it's an amazing feat, you know, these, these stadiums that have. And I think it was either the first or the second to have a retractable roof. So, I mean, when you think about the engineering feat of figuring out how do you do this? And now, of course, lots of stadiums have it. Uh, but yeah, and, and, you know, they would do it differently for sure now, but it was, it's an engineering marvel. And I think it's uniquely different to how other roofs open, you know, the, the rotation of one section through that sort of whole 180 yeah. degrees and the other bit sliding. I mean, it, it's just mesmerizing watching it. It's yeah. fascinating, fascinating stuff. 
Well, and, and you can't, the, some other ones where they have it pulled down or something like that, well, you can't do that in the middle of Toronto and next to the CN Tower. So it's, I mean, also in terms of the urban planning, it's it's a really genius idea of how you how you combine the CN Tower and, and Sky Dome Rogers Centre. Yeah. Are you, are you pleased that they're not moving from, from Sky Dome? Is, is that, because it was, you know, a couple of years ago, they were talking about maybe they relocate down to the, the, the waterfront. Are you pleased that they're staying where they are? I, th- I think they could move. Um, if, if there's the right opportunity that comes along and if they're able to build the right stadium, it because of the way that um, then Skydome was conceived as multi-purpose, that, that's also very much 1980s thinking. And if they were to have a baseball-dedicated ballpark, yep. they should do that. Mm, yeah, I think there is talk... Um... I read that they're looking to do the hundred level seats because they, at the moment, they sort of face into the middle of the ballpark rather than towards home plate. And I think, you know, they've got some plans to reorientate all of those seats, which I think would make it a much better baseball experience. And they don't need to do the retractability anymore because, you know, the Argonauts aren't playing there anymore. So there's no need to have that section moving. So I guess they'll probably whip all of that out and redesign it and put it all back together again, which will be, fancy yeah well and then when you see the the pictures of the raptors when they used to play in the building too it's just insane that that ever hosted nba games <laughs> it's just mad anyway it's great stuff great things to dream about lots of exciting prospects in terms of what's happening in terms of the team what's happening in terms of the ballpark so good to uh to look forward to uh i know we've had a few problems with our internet Stephen. i, I appreciate that you've you've fought through so thank you so much uh for that uh, been brilliant having you on as well. Uh, loved chatting with you. Thank, thank you so much for spending some time. Guys, thank you for joining us again today. Being such a cool time spending the morning with Stephen. If you'd like to come on and just come and tell us your J story, it'd be lovely to hear from you. Please get in touch uh, by the normal means. If you have opportunity on Mondays, come and join us for our live show. Uh, five o'clock uh, Eastern time, 10 o'clock here in the UK, uh, live on YouTube, live on Twitter. Come and hear us chatting about the, the week in Blue Jays. Looking forward to the next series. Be great to see you then. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you soon. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at bluejaysfansuk at gmail.com. And follow along on Twitter and Instagram at bluejaysfansuk. I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening. <laughs>